Today, I want to talk specifically about the Macedonian Call and the Moody Church. The Macedonian Call, they're in the Go Missions Week. The Macedonian Call and the Moody Church. We're going to look in just a moment. Here's our text. It's Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. And we're going to walk through this little by little. I'm going to read it first, and we'll walk through it little by little. And I'll give you a little context here even before we do, right? So Paul actually connects with this guy named Timothy a little before this in a place called Lystra. He and a group of other missionaries, some named, some, uh, some unnamed, they join up together. And this is kind of where we pick up the story. We're on the second missionary journey, and this is a bit where we pick up the story. It says this, beginning at verse 7. It says, And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, a couple of things. First of all, when you read this verse, it's one of those verses you don't want to get suddenly assigned to you in a TMC community. A lot of places in there like Bithynia and Mysia and Troas, a lot of names to pronounce. And actually, I kind of debated whether to put up a map, decided against it, because the point is not where this is or where this geographic representation is. Uh, there are some things that we'll talk about geography that are important, but, but, but here Paul's on this missionary journey. And these missionary journeys are not always uh, particularly fun, but they are um, a call of God. I mean, Paul started a riot in one place and got kicked out of town. He, he was almost stoned in another place and was actually stoned in a place after that. And he had a conflict sometimes with other Christians, including his best friend, a guy named Barnabas. He actually picks up along the road this guy named Timothy which is a high point, but then they're trying to figure out where God has called them to go next. So they try to go into Asia. Now, actually, they're in Asia. There's parts of sometimes Asia is called different things. They're in uh, what's called Turkey today, and they're trying to figure out where to go. Should they go deeper into Asia? Maybe. It could go up to Mysia, which is nearby. Bithynia, also nearby. But there's a sense that they're unsure where to go. So they're going from this place that, you know, they came up to Mysia, tried to go to Bithynia. Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to. Then they, they, go, to, they go to Mysia, down to, down to Troas and Bithynia, all these places. And see, they almost seem like they're lost. And like a typical man, they won't ask for directions. <laughs> so what's going on here, though, is that the situation is interrupted by a vision interrupted by a vision, right? They're, they're trying to go to Asia, then Bithynia. They seem to be struggling. Then the vision comes. And this is what the visionary Macedonian, right? This vision, this man from Macedonia says this. He says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's going to be our focus today. I'm going to talk about the Macedonian call and the Moody Church. Why? Because come over to Macedonia and help us is, is specifically a call to Paul, but the New Testament itself is actually a book about church planting and missions. And New Testament churches today should be breaking new ground through church planting. I love the theme of this missions conference, breaking new ground through church planting. Let me remind you again, the New Testament itself is a book about missions and church planting, and New Testament churches today should be breaking new ground through church planting. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to take that sentence word by word and walk through it, come over to Macedonia and help us, just word by word. We're going to look at it and walk through it. Three points we'll go through, breaking down section by section. First is, number one is, come over. The Macedonian call in Moody Church, it begins with, come over. 
Now, come over here literally meant crossing the Aegean Sea. So, so this is the, the, uh, the body of water between what's mainly Turkey and then over into Greece. Now, this is uh, not surprising to them, though. Come over is what they've been doing for a long time. Paul's not on his first missionary journey. He's on his second missionary journey. There's been coming and going, well, throughout Paul's life once he became a believer. We see this, right? Tied into the very Great Commission is the word go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Or maybe as you're going, make disciples of all nations. There's this built-in expectation of coming and going that's contained in the gospel itself. So they're crossing over the Aegean Sea, come over, right? Which actually then leads to the first church started in Europe. This is actually right here. This moment, come over to Macedonia, would lead to the very first church starting in Europe. Now, we are a multicultural church. We have over 70 uh, nationalities of birth represented here at the Moody Church. But, but what you've seen through the book of Acts is it starts in Asia, right? We know that Israel there in Asia. Then we actually have some interaction with, with, um, with an African, an Ethiopian eunuch, right? So we see Asia and then Africa impacted. And tradition says that Mark the evangelist actually goes to Egypt and begins to evangelize very early. So it goes to Asia and then to Africa, the gospel travels, or at least to an African, and then finally to Europe. So if you're of European descent, like, like I am, I'm of uh, Irish descent, and I'm glad all of you got to celebrate our day recently, St. Patrick's Day, that is. But, um, but if you're of European descent, right, you're a little slow to the party, but you eventually do get to the party. The gospel is proclaimed in Europe in part because of this. So we think about this. This not, should not surprise us. This come over to Macedonia and help us should not surprise us, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, right? John 3, 16 is the, the gospel in miniature. God loved the world that he sent his one and only son. And at the end of the gospel of John, it leads to John 20, 21 where it says, as the Father has sent me, Jesus is speaking, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. By the way, when the apostles heard the Great Commission and the commissions of Jesus, here's what they did. They went and planted churches. So if they heard the commissions of Jesus, decided Jesus meant planting churches, maybe we too can break new ground through church planting. John 3.16 leads to John 20.21, which ultimately leads to Revelation 7.9. Revelation 7, 9 reminds us that we are indeed called to go to all nations. So as Paul here has come over, crossing the Aegean Sea into the continent of Europe, where he'd spend most of his ministry and his evangelistic endeavor, we know part of the reason why. Because around the throne room forever is supposed to be people from Asia and people from Africa, and people from Europe, and from South America, and from North America, and from around the world, even perhaps from Antarctica. Because why? Because Revelation 7, 9 paints a beautiful picture. It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude no one could number from every nation. Now, nation here is the word ethne in the Greek. It doesn't refer to countries like Brazil is a country or like Finland is a country, but it refers to peoples, all different kinds of people from every people, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This sounds like an awesome long worship service because it goes on forever. But I don't want you to miss this, that people around the throne have not shed their ethnicity or their origins. 
Don't miss this, right? We can actually tell. We don't know how, but John writing Revelation says they're from all tribes and all peoples and all languages. So part of the reason we're engaged in church planting is so that the throne room, throne room might indeed be populated by men and women of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And we see a little taste of that when we gather together on, at Moody Church. 70 nations represented here. Some people say, Ed, I don't like a multicultural church. If you don't like a multicultural church, you're really going to hate heaven. Because <laughs> that's not only a church, it goes on a long, a long time. So gathered around the throne, men and women from every tongue, tribe, and nation. So John 3.16, God so loved the world. John 20.21, 20, go, right? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Leads to the fact that there would indeed be men and women from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. And that makes such a, a difference. Now, we look at the idea of part of our responsibility. John Piper in his a very helpful book, Let the Nations Be Glad, the supremacy of God and missions, put it this way. Therefore, the church, that's us, we're a part of that language. Therefore, the church is bound to engage with the Lord of glory in his cause. It, it is an unspeakable privilege to be caught up with him in the greatest movement in history, the ingathering of the elect from all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations. The New Testament is a book about missions and church plantings, right? Most of the problems in the New Testament are caused by immature believers in new churches that don't yet have the theological grounding that they need. So they'd write letters to these new churches, and then they'd go start other new churches, and then the gospels would be shared in those churches. So these new churches could know about Jesus, who they call the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. The New Testament is a book about missions and church planting. <laughs> and New Testament churches today, like ours, should be breaking new ground through church planting. So we find this journey that they're on. Come over is the words that we hear. Now, again, I'm not going to give you a full geography lesson. I thought about it, but here's the main thing you need to know, is that from this side of the world, what we today call Turkey, he crosses over into Macedonia. Now, it says, it gives details about this a little while, a little later on. It says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go into this place, or the Spirit of Jesus directed them not to. Now, we don't, we don't really know the details of what's going on there. We don't know how God sort of closed the door. And what's also interesting is no result is sort of recorded here of the results of what they were doing. Because, I mean, going to Mysia and Bithynia and Asia, those are not like, it wasn't like I, I walked five steps this direction and five steps that direction. I mean, these were places they were ministering and more. And we, we don't have details, maybe because Luke, who writes the book of Acts, has not yet joined the group, so we don't have the details. But what's interesting is later on we find out that there are the churches of Galatia, mentioned in Galatians 1-2 and 1 Corinthians 16-1, right around the area where they were wandering around. There's no indication they preached at Troas at that time, but maybe they got as far as that, we don't know. But a few years later in Acts 20, we find a church in Troas. See, here's the thing. Everywhere they went, they were planting new churches. It was normal that believers started new churches then, and it should be normal that Christians are involved in church planting now. That's why church planting evangelism and missions matters to us at the Moody Church. See, church planting produces and is produced by evangelism. We don't just go start new churches by taking Christians from other churches, right? We're involved in church planting because we want to evangelize into existence new churches. 
And our missionaries care about the church. We've gathered missionaries from around the world these two weeks of our missions conference, like Kalman and Anna Marie Dobos from Transworld Radio, right? They're remotely monitoring Europe's AM and shortwave broadcasts and, and, and why, and, and, and listening in on the frequency of high power transmitters that beam the gospel throughout Europe and Russia and many Muslim countries, why? So ultimately they'll share the gospel and evangelized into existence will be new churches in those places. Or related to our motorcycle project, Dan and Nancy Hudson, who've served in Peru and Papua New Guinea and now are in North Carolina building transportation vehicles for the harsh conditions of what we call the 1040 window, the place where the gospel has been reached and engaged at the least. See, the Global Outreach Committee at the Moody Church is even working now, thinking through ways that we can significantly increase our engagement in church planting, looking at church planting in Albania, looking at church planting in India, and here locally as well. So the story of come over is just the normative expression of Christianity, is that people having been changed by the gospel want others to know about the gospel, and as others know about the gospel, a new church is evangelized into existence. So the New Testament is a book of missions and church planting, and New Testament churches today, churches that follow the New Testament, should be breaking new ground through church planting. So again, that's the first point. Come over, two words. Let's make the second point a little shorter even, right? Just one word now. Come over and help. Come over to Macedonia and help, right? So what does that mean? What is the help here? See, help is an interesting thing because there's a lot of ways that we can and even should be of help. Missionaries do all kinds of things, and we've got missionaries here doing all kinds of things. Some people are serving the hurting. Some people are speaking into injustice around the world as girls are often discarded in the global gender side. Some people are ministering around the world, speaking against and working to abolish sexual trafficking, human trafficking, and more. There's lots of ways that we can indeed be of help. But what's interesting is when the word help is used, and about half the time, it's used in reference to the help of, of sharing the good news of the gospel, the act of God in salvation or some other salvific act, and the rest are kind of varied in their application. Don't want you to miss this, right? At the Moody Church, we're pretty unapologetic that the most important help you can give somebody is the good news of the gospel. Now, this goes back 150 years at our founding as this church started as a Sunday school to reach poor kids. These, in a rough neighborhood, this once was a rough neighborhood, I know that may seem odd, there were these uh, roving thugs of Scandinavians who were running around here causing problems, true story. And a guy named D.L. Moody said, we're going to minister to the poor. You can find pictures of him standing with poor children, the street urchins, if you will, and, and he said, we're going to minister to them. And, and then later on, he began to break ideas down that people before didn't want to minister to the poor, poorest and the hurting. But he put, even as still stands on the side of our building, ever welcome in this house are strangers and the poor. So you used to have to pay rent to sit in those seats. For a very long time, centuries actually, Christians paid what's called pew rent. And you would come in and your family would sort of own this pew. Now, I know some of you actually think that you own those chairs. <laughs> I remember one time early on, my family went and sat and we, we didn't realize that the secret code for this seat is saved as you put them down. So we just sat there and somebody gave us the most unhappy look ever. But I later got to appreciate Bill Birchie and we stayed friends. Um, 
Sorry to take in your seat that day. So, so but the, the idea was is that there was sort of a responsibility, and, but the poor couldn't afford it. So Moody said, no, 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 ever welcome in this house are strangers and the poor. There's no pew rent. Everybody's welcome to sit in these seats. Now, here the help of the gospel is shared to the poor 150 years ago and to everybody 150 years later so that men and women might hear and respond to the good news of the gospel. Now, don't miss this because what's interesting is how they responded, right? It actually says and that we concluded that we are supposed to preach to them. But why would they think such a thing? Because this is what Paul thought about himself and the band of missionaries that he was with. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, he said, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So this visional Macedonian that he sees, come over and help us, immediately connects to the theology that he knows and the gospel that he loves. And so when he hears come over and help us, he knows the help that he's going to bring. And this is always a tricky reality, right? Nobody drifts towards evangelism as a passion. People drift away from evangelism as a passion. But the reality is, as we work here at the Moody Church, a church founded by an evangelist, we're going to engage in global missions that indeed is evangelistic and is evangelizing new churches into existence. But the help we offer is all different kinds of help, but fundamental to all the help we offer is this. The help we offer is Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that help changes lives. So Paul went to preach with the band of missionaries he was with and help us by pre presenting the Macedonian vision, the unchanging gospel, right? There's no other message worth proclaiming anyway. So what happens here? Well, actually, we find this out. In Acts chapter 16, verse 10, come over and help us. They heard in Acts 16, 10, it says, when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So one word, right, one verb in the whole sentence, right, uh, in the middle of the sentence, come over, beginning that, that verbal idea, and help, help the central verb, help us. So they hear the word help, and they think, oh, God's called us to preach the gospel to them. By the way, an interesting side fact is that you see the word we there for the first time. Luke doesn't mention it, but Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, joins the group right here. So we don't know how, when, or why, but Luke all of a sudden starts to say, we began to do these things. Everything before is they, and at this point it's we. But also don't miss this, right? That when Paul had received a vision of the Holy Spirit, the group together sat down and said, we, immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, this enterprise is not an solo enterprise, right? It wasn't, well, Paul, God told Paul, so let's all go. No, no, no. Even then they were saying, let's, let's discern this together. And we immediately concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Can I just tell you how excited I am that our global outreach committee is actually doing this all the time, asking where should we go, to whom should we go, how can we proclaim the gospel to them? Building on, and this is the key, Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. So in the Pokot in Africa, in the Quechua, in the highlands of Peru, the Ebon in Malaysia, Jesus is still building his church. And we, thousands upon thousands of miles away, get to be a part of this privilege of evangelizing new churches into existence with the promise that Jesus says, I will build my church. 
And 2,000 years later, he still is. Now, it doesn't look like our church. They don't have buildings with the largest non-columned amphitheater in Chicagoland. They don't gather together in necessarily the heart of this city, but all around the world, maybe sometimes under a tree, sometimes in an urban context, in a side room, they gather together. Now, what's interesting here as well, come over and help, this is actually the beginning of the first church in Europe, as I've said. Macedonia is in Greece, actually even saying that, that's actually controversial today because there's a conflict in that region of the world about what Macedonia is today. But then it was certainly seen as part of Greece. And so Macedonia there, right, going to this place, and, and there was actually a, a town there that they go to, the, the group of missionaries go to, and it's called Philippi. And they meet a group of people called the Philippians. And the Philippians then are part of this new church that's ultimately planted. Matter of fact, there was no place to start there, right? Paul would often go into a town and speak in the synagogue, but there's no synagogue here. And so he goes to this place of prayer on the edge of town. He finds some women at the edge of town at this place of prayer, and this is where it starts. And, and he meets Lydia, the first mentioned European, by the way, um, is Lydia. And then he meets a demon-possessed slave girl here, and then a jailer. And from this, this, this businesswoman, this demon-possessed slave girl, and this jailer, the first church is born. And some of you recognize that language because that's the first series we did together when I started as interim here was Philippians. And we talked a lot about the businesswoman, the demon-possessed slave girl, and the jailer, a motley crew if there ever was a motley crew. But boom, a church is born. But don't miss that. Why? Because Ephesians 3.10 in Ephesians 3.10, it reminds us again and again, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. I get it sometimes that the church is a challenge to engage. It's supposed to, it's supposed to be this beautiful bride of Christ and sometimes she looks more like Shrek and I get that. But you know, the reality is a little later in the service we'll sing, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church and missions, well, mission is for which the church exists. See, it's not even that the church needs to find a mission, it's that God's mission has this church. And this church says yes to Jesus' mission when it engages in its community, but also spreads the gospel around the world through missions to other communities. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church, Jesus. See, I love the church, all of its imperfections. I believe that we should be church men and church women. I think about it all the time. We need more churches. And I've planted some, and I get it. I love the fact that I get to preach on church planting at this missions conference because when Don and I were 21, we moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, and planted a church among the urban poor. And I remember standing there at Prospect and Porter Avenue, praying and seeking the Lord, saying, God, is this what I'm supposed to do? I had an undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry. I had no seminary. I took two religion courses from a school that was moving away from its biblical moorings. And there I stood saying, Lord, is this what I'm supposed to do? And, and, and in God's goodness and grace, I felt his prompting, come and plant my church, the Lord's church, here. So I responded to that moment, standing there at prospect and porter, looking around at the countless number of people who didn't know the Lord, who were left behind because Buffalo was the fastest shrinking city in, the America, in, in America at that time, in the midst of the crack epidemic of the late 80s and the early 90s. And we moved there in 1988, 1988 Donna, my young bride, and me. 
And we said, God has called us to plant the church here. And I never got over the fact that we need more churches. See, the New Testament is a book about missions and church planning, and New Testament churches today, like the Moody Church, should be breaking new ground through church planning. That's the help of the gospel, evangelizing a new church into existence. Thirdly, and what I'm pretty sure is the shortest point ever preached at the Moody Church, is the word us. Just two letters in English. It's actually a dative case pronoun in the original language. It's actually not necessary in the text because it's implied, but nevertheless, Luke puts it there. This little dative case pronoun reminds us that people who don't know Jesus matter a whole lot to Jesus. I want you to miss that, right? Because this Macedonian man didn't know anything about Jesus yet. Come over and help us. But this little dative case pronoun reminds us that people who don't know Jesus matter a whole lot to Jesus. And ought to matter a whole lot to us. How can it not matter to us, a church named after evangelists? And it does. It needs to matter more for all of us. See, for some of you today, you need to hear the message and say, God's called me to church planning. You need to consider beginning a path that will lead you to plant a church. I don't know where. I don't know among whom. It might be on the other side of the world. It might be on the other side of your block. But you need to be obedient to that call. For others, it's to be involved in church planting, either coming alongside the Global Outreach Committee or, or being involved in helping new churches plant in the Chicagoland area or getting more involved in church planting around the world through our partnerships. This little, this little dative case pronoun, the us, it's translated here, includes this important pronoun, because lost people matter to Jesus. Now, why does this matter? Because it tells us this one small pronoun that people are important, and the purpose of the church is not simply to say we've arrived, but actually to live sent. And in doing so, there, the reality is this Macedonian man that he sees in the vision is, is seeking something, right? He says, come over to Macedonia and help us Paul, we don't know the details of the vision. It actually doesn't say, was it like a dream vision? Or did he wake up and have a vision? We don't know. We don't know the details. Here's what we know. What we know is, is that lost people matter to God. And when we look around the world and we see people without Jesus, the first inclination of our heart should be, how do we get the gospel to them? And I will tell you, the most effective form of missions around the world that leads to conversions is the planting of new churches. But the reality is it takes some level of compassion to engage this way. I think, you know, we all have favorite verses, and over time they sort of change. Probably the verse that's really kind of shook me in the last year or so is, is this passage in Matthew. We, we were going through Matthew, and I came to this passage, and I was kind of shook by it and still remains. So here's what it says. It says, In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he, that's Jesus here, when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion for them. Now, the word compassion in the original language doesn't translate well into English because it's so much more than, well, he kind of cared for them. He had this low-level concern for them, like we would when we're watching the television and we see an ad for some sort of rescue, some sort of um, help the poor, or even some level of compassion when we see an ad for the humane society. We have this compassion. But it's so much more than that in the original language. It has to do with something at the core of our being. It's, it's in its most literal translation, we're moved in our bowels is literally what it means, but we don't translate it that way today. 
Because what it means, though, at the core of our being, something deep inside us, a punch to the gut, something that we can't move beyond, that this burden, this passion, is deep in the core of who we are. So Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were torn and thrown about, strong words, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus cares for people who don't yet know him as shepherd like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, he speaks to them, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, here's what's fascinating. That's the end of chapter 9, and you know what he does in chapter 10? He sends them as laborers into the harvest. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of picking up on something here that Matthew's writing and Jesus is saying. Here's what I'm picking up on, right? He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And in the very next chapter, he says, oh, I'm sending you into the harvest. So I think sometimes we need to read in ways that are intended between the lines. I have stood in my daughter's room one of my three daughters is just a messy room keeper. And I've stood in her room and said, don't you think that teenagers should be able to keep their rooms clean? And I assure you, I was not speaking of random teenagers up and down our block. I was speaking of her in a way that she immediately picked up. And I think too, when Jesus says, to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers, to send laborers into his harvest field that he's talking to about us. And we do that as we pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers. We pray for our missionaries. We do that as we give. We're sending resources to greater gospel impact around the world. And we do that as we go. And I would say to you that the time for us to go is the time in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does this matter? I was thinking about this uh, this week, kind of dwelling on this. This is a missions conference, and, and you know, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to talk about local missions, so I kind of got more clarity, you know, global church planting, and Dr. Job last week talked about that, and, and so, but my job is to talk about global missions, but then I get a text from, from Pastor Bill this week, and he says, um, encourage people to invite their friends to the Easter service, but I'm like, it's a missions conference, Bill. It's not of invite your friends to Easter service. And I I thought to myself, I could say, so who's your man from Macedonia? Who is, we're inviting one, we're talking about inviting one. I could say, you need a man from Macedonia in your life. But I don't want to like over-spiritualize or make the text into some symbolic representation that's there. So I'm kind of like, I'm not sure, Bill. And, and, you know, and, and he's like, but no, no, I mean, because I mean, he's, he's in charge. I, I work for him. And so he's like, he's like, you got to work this into the sermon. So I'm like, Bill, but he feels like this all the time. It's the deep level of sin in his life to boss me around. <laughs> so, and by the way, some of you say, I don't like it when you and Ed tease each other. I know you don't. We're friends. This is sometimes what men do. Get over it. <laughs> so he's like, you got to do this. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And he didn't say it, but it implied in there was, well, you work for me, chief. <laughs> it's like, all right, fine. So you may not know this, but... The Stetzers and the Birchies hang out sometimes, so, because our wives are friends. And so we, uh, <laughs> Carmay's awesome, Donna's even more awesome. When you meet Carmay, Bill's wife, you'll understand that there is goodness in that household. Um, 
So we're hanging out at dinner Friday night. True story, right? We're hanging out at dinner Friday night. It's a true story. Don't nod like you don't know. We're hanging out at dinner Friday night. So we go to dinner Friday night and, and, uh, with, our, with Donna and Carme. And, and then afterwards, you know, it's time. I'm actually staying downtown because I'm doing something for uh, Moody Radio where I have a show on Saturday. So I'm staying overnight at a hotel. And so, so, so it's time to go. And so, so Bill and Carme said, we'll take Donna home. And, and so they dropped me. True story, they dropped me at a 7-Eleven. Good luck, go get an Uber. So I... I do get an Uber, right? Let me show you. This is, this is my Uber driver. Nicola is his name. So this is him right here. He's a good Uber driver. Let me just say that right now. 4.98. By the way, I asked his permission to share this, and he may indeed be here today because of our conversation last night. If you are, welcome. He's actually completed over 100 five-star trips. So this guy is a good Uber driver. Now, one of the things I've learned over time is that God sometimes uses the life of the pastor to communicate something to the people. So keeping in mind that um, Bill is like, you really, if you could just emphasize everyone bringing somebody, you know, you're, who's your one person to bring? And I'm like, well, I really can't make it theologically responsible to say everyone needs a man from Macedonia because not everyone gets a, a vision or else it may be. But then, but then I, I, I get, they dropped me off at the 7-Eleven back here. Here it is. And guess what? Nicola is a man from Macedonia. It's like a true story, right? I have not met anyone from Macedonia in 15 years, I think. And the Birchies dropped me off at a 7-Eleven where I head back to my hotel in Uber. And my Uber driver, I get in, and he's got a little bit of an accent. So I say, so where are you from? He says, I'm from Macedonia. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll tell them to invite their friends on Easter. You see, and I invited Nicola. Nicola, if you're, you and your family are here today, talked about coming. I actually talked some about Easter. And, and, I, and I'm not, so after this, I'm like, okay, Lord, I get it. I will mention it. So I tell him his country's mentioned in the Bible. He says he's heard that. And I share with him about my message I'm working on. And, and then I begin to share with him about the gospel that Paul ultimately preached. And, and in the midst of so, then I told him about Easter service. And I told him that four weeks from now, we're going to have two identical services at 9 and 11. And he and his family can come. And then then the Lord used that to remind me that I need to remind you. <laughs> to invite some people because God has placed you in proximity to people. And you may not have a vision of a man from Macedonia. And then God may not slap you upside the head with a Uber driver from Macedonia. But whatever it is, God has called you to engage your neighbors. Just as Moody Church was evangelized into existence 150 years ago, we need to evangelize for its future, actually for their future, so they might know and hear the good news of the gospel. God has called all of us to live on mission to show and share the love of Jesus. And by the way, to invite one means you're going to have to invite about 10 to get one to come. See, there'll be challenges, there'll be inconveniences. Some of you are like, nine and 11, I'm not sure what I'm gonna do. Well, I know what you're gonna do. The people who love Jesus will be here at nine. <laughs> and we'll see the rest of you at 11. Uh, <laughs> but here's the deal. Paul had this vision of a man from Macedonia that reminds us of the central need, come over and help us. Lost people matter to God, us. The us out there needs to be contacted by those of us who are in here.
Not just physically in a building, but in the body of Christ living on mission. So, so here's the deal. We need more missions in church planning at Moody Church. We do. That's why we're gathering together here. We need, we need you on mission. We can't name the name of Jesus Christ and not join the mission of Jesus Christ. We can't sing about how much we love him. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church and not ultimately be sharing about him. We need the gospel, a greater focus in all of our lives. That simple sentence, come over and help us, should speak to our hearts 2,000 years after it was uttered and written. But we need a heart of compassion like Jesus had. That depth of burdened compassion. And that's what I'm asking you to have today. I'm asking you to have a depth of burdened compassion for people around the world who don't know Jesus, for people in Nigeria that we've spoken of, for people in the 1040 window, predominantly Muslim who don't know the good news of the gospel, for people in Russia that we've mentioned, or Albania that once had religious place and religious focus and now has lost much of that. And the gospel needs to be preached and proclaimed again. My invitation to you is that you might hear the words of this visional Macedonian, come over and help us, and you might ask how globally and locally you might bring the help of the gospel. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that by your grace and your goodness, you've redeemed us and called us by name. And Lord, we acknowledge today that the call on our lives is to share the help of the gospel as we gather this week to speak about evangelizing into existence churches around the world and sustaining an evangelistic passion at this church. It's been evident for 150 years, but so much more is yet to come. Lord, we acknowledge that the glory of your name should be, is, and must continue to be the passion of the church. Father, let the righteousness of God be a holy flame that burns let the saving love of Christ be the measure of our lives, evident as we share, as we work towards Easter, as we get involved in global missions and more. Because ultimately, you're all to us. So as we sing this, may our hearts be burdened for global missions. Would you stand with me even now? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand, may you give us a burdened compassion in line with the compassion Jesus had. And just as you're singing just now, I want you to make it a prayer. And you'll be open to what the Lord's saying. Neighbors you can invite, nations you need to partner to engage. Let's sing and worship together.